Delicious meets nutritious in the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios. Each one-ounce serving of wonderful pistachios has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value and making wonderful pistachios one of the highest protein nuts. But perhaps more than that, I love all of the flavors they have. Their sea salt and vinegar ones are my favorite when I'm craving that flavor but want to keep it healthy. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of flavors, like chili roasted, honey roasted, smoky barbecue, and jalapeno lime, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. So fill up with a healthy snack when hunger strikes. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. That's wonderfulpistachios.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Optimal Health Daily, episode 1437, Addiction, by Becca Shearn of minimalwellness.com, and I'm Dr. Neil. Hey there, happy Sunday and happy first day of August, and welcome back to Optimal Health Daily, where I simply read to you from the best health and fitness blogs for free. This is kind of like an audiobook, but with articles instead, and articles written by a bunch of different authors, and always with permission from the sites. Now, on Fridays, I do something a little different. I answer your questions. Don't forget, you can send me a question by emailing one to health at oldpodcast.com or you can submit an audio question by going to oldpodcast.com slash ask. Thank you so much in advance for sending me your questions. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. So don't forget, I answer your questions every Friday. But with that, let's jump right in and hear today's article and continue optimizing your life. Addiction by Becca Shearn of minimalwellness.com. Humans struggle with addiction. We can be challenged by behavioral or substance addictions or both, which manifest in the brain in nearly identical ways. Why is addiction so common and how can we work to overcome our susceptibility to excess? Certain behaviors such as gambling, shopping, and eating, as well as the consumption of substances such as sugar, alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, cocaine, methamphetamine, and opioid drugs act on the ancient area of the brain called the mesolimbic dopamine system. The mesolimbic dopamine system, sometimes called the lizard brain, is responsible for regulating rewards associated with activities that ensure survival, food, procreation, and social interactions. Inappropriate signaling within this part of the brain can easily hijack our behavior and cause us to act in illogical ways. Our brains think survival is at stake. The main neurotransmitter responsible for regulating activity in this part of the brain is dopamine. We're familiar with the rewarding results of a dopamine influx. We can thank it for the calming pleasure of tasting a heavenly dessert, for example. When our brains are flooded with dopamine after an activity like that, it remembers it 
and conditions us to want to repeat the pleasurable experience. Dopamine also regulates compulsion, which can drive us to obsess over, ruminate on, seek out, and repeat these enjoyable dopamine-producing activities. In an excellent video, Dr. Ruth Poti explains that an easy way to think about the effects of dopamine is to consider 100 as an average baseline dopamine level for most healthy individuals. Some of us have naturally sunny dispositions and might have a slightly higher dopamine baseline, maybe a level of 110, while others might have a slightly lower one at, let's say, 90. Regardless of our natural baseline, the effect of addictive substances and activities on our dopamine levels is the same. Imagine, you've been excitedly anticipating peach season all year. When you bite into the summer's first perfectly ripe and syrupy peach and the juice drips off your chin as you slurp up the sweet nectar, attempting not to make a complete mess, your dopamine level might spike to 130. A relaxing glass of wine might bump our dopamine to 140. Similar spikes can happen with activities such as shopping or gambling when we view the outcome as rewarding. After these activities, our system recognizes the corresponding dopamine spike as within normal limits, and our dopamine levels return to normal. The response to many addictive drugs is far greater. Dr. Poti explains that the dopamine spike seen from drugs such as cocaine and methamphetamine can be as high as 350 and 1,250 respectively from the baseline of 100. When we introduce any of these activities more than is evolutionarily normal, like we consume foods with added sugar all day, every day, or overindulge in alcohol, or when we consume highly addictive drugs, our brains begin to mute dopamine's effects. When dopamine floods the brain constantly, as with chronic overconsumption of substances like sugar or alcohol, or when we frequently engage in activities like shopping, gambling, or gaming, or when it surges dramatically during drug use, our brain responds by down-regulating the neurotransmitter. And in this vein, dopamine's effects can be blunted, basically in three ways. One, by reducing dopamine production. Two, reducing dopamine receptors. Or three, increasing clearance of dopamine in the neural synapses. The stronger the dopamine release from an activity, and the more frequently that activity occurs, the more dopamine will be downregulated. What happens when dopamine gets downregulated? We end up with a baseline dopamine level that's lower than our normal baseline. If we were at a dopamine level of 100, pre-overconsumption, then we might end up at a baseline of 70 with chronic overconsumption of, let's say, alcohol, or far worse, at a 40 if we become addicted to a synthetic drug like methamphetamine or opioid drugs. Recall the feelings dopamine helps regulate. Reward, euphoria, pleasure, consumption. When our dopamine baseline drops below the normal range, everything becomes less pleasurable. We start to feel less engaged with the world around us. And the only thing we're truly interested in is the next hit of dopamine from the substance of choice. As dopamine levels continue to drop, the feelings of malaise increase, as does the draw toward actions that will elevate neurotransmitter levels. In addition to the effects of the mesolimbic dopamine system, addiction also affects brain functions such as motivation, impulse control, attention, problem-solving, planning, learning, and memory. Yikes. Addiction is not a failure of will or a character flaw. It's the result of a behavior-mediated chemical imbalance, with some people being more susceptible to developing that chemical imbalance than others. 
there are three key factors that can dramatically increase the chance of struggling with addiction. Genetics, age of first use, and traumatic life events. Many experts agree that about 50% of the predisposition to addiction comes from genetics. Of course, if we look hard enough, most of us can find someone in our family tree who battled addiction, meaning most of us should take the genetic risk of addiction seriously. The age of first use is another extremely powerful indicator for potential problems. The earlier someone begins using a substance, the greater an impact that substance has on their developing brain. A recent study claims that 90% of Americans who are addicted to tobacco, alcohol, or other substances began use before the age of 18. Keep in mind, age of first use transfers from substance to substance, meaning if you started smoking cigarettes or consuming large amounts of sugar as a teen, you'll be more susceptible to all types of addiction. Finally, trauma, particularly childhood trauma, is highly correlated to substance abuse and addiction later in life. But of course, that doesn't mean that if you don't have a genetic predisposition, didn't use substances early, and are trauma-free, you can't become addicted. Many physicians now view addiction as a brain disease. Sometimes it develops quickly, as in the case where someone has multiple predispositions, but sometimes it develops slowly. Regardless of how addiction develops, it can be fixed, but not without significant effort. Many of us are unknowingly consuming a far greater amount of socially acceptable addictive substances like sugar and alcohol, more so than we realize. This chronic overconsumption pattern is insidious. It sets us up for frequently feeling discontent and for a slow, gradual slide into dependence and eventually addiction. In this pre-addiction stage, we might wonder why we feel more meh than we're used to. We might be frustrated at our struggle to resist that gooey, fresh-baked cookie we see in a bakery's window or pouring a glass of wine immediately upon walking in the door after work. The uncomfortable reality is that regardless of social acceptability, copious consumption of addictive substances changes the way the brain functions. We're more easily agitated, have lower motivation, experience brain fog, and struggle with learning and memory. When we flirt with overconsumption, addiction isn't inevitable, but it's a distinct possible outcome. The good news is that it's entirely possible to avoid or break addiction. Weaning ourselves off of the behaviors and substances that artificially increase dopamine levels might not be fun for a few days, weeks, or months. But slowly, with time and effort, the hold that those things had over us, over our feelings, actions, and attitudes will begin to lift. The struggles once masked and the feelings once sought with consumption can be handled in much healthier ways. You just listened to the post titled Addiction by Becca Shern of minimalwellness.com. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it filters out incompatible applicants. So when you're hiring, the process is much faster and you only have to consider applicants that are already likely to be a great fit. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com health. Just go to indeed.com health 
right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash health. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dr. Neil again here. I agree that addiction is not a personality flaw. It's not a failure of one's will. As Becca mentioned, we're learning that there is a physiological or biological reason why addiction tends to occur. Breaking that addiction is in no way an easy thing. It's not often as simple as, oh, I'm just going to quit cold turkey. I'm just going to lay off all sugar. I'm just going to stop drinking altogether. Usually, it involves a multi-pronged approach where there's, of course, the behavior component. Sometimes we may need the use of prescription medications. There's the social side and the accountability side. But as always, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. And again, depends on the substance that we're addicted to. But what we know is one of the keys to breaking this sort of habit, to breaking an addiction, is not just getting rid of that substance. When we get rid of something, we know that we're losing out, that we're somehow depriving ourselves of something. So what we have to do is, if we, let's say, get rid of all of the alcohol, We need to substitute that behavior with something that's not alcohol-related but makes us feel just as good. So we have to insert a new healthy habit. We can't just remove habits and expect us to feel all well and great about it. We actually have to insert a new healthy habit that kind of sort of makes us feel just as good as that old not-so-great habit. And again, this is where it becomes really personalized and where you really have to know yourself and maybe take good notes about your current behaviors to figure out what that new habit is going to be. That'll do it for today. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and again, a very happy first day of August. And I'll be back here tomorrow, as usual, for our Monday episode, where your optimal life awaits.